You're listening to In The Company, a podcast about humanising work and designing better working lives. Each episode is curated to provoke you to think more deeply about the things that matter in your career and life and to build your toolkit for how to thrive as a human in business today. We explore how we work from the inside out. I'm Kylie Lewis, and it's great to be in your company. Welcome. Today, we're in the company of Prue Gilbert, a lawyer, diversity strategist, and founder of gracepapers.com.au, a human rights award-winning digital platform designed to empower working parents to navigate career and family. Welcome, Prue. Thank you, Kylie. It's good to be here. Uh, We're excited to have you today to have this really interesting discussion. I think there's going to be a lot of gems in here that people are going to wake up to that perhaps they haven't known about before. So, But before we get into too much of a conversation about Grace Papers and what Grace Papers does and what you do now, I'd love to just explore a little bit about maybe who you were as a young person, as small Prue, and the things that you like doing as a child and maybe how that informs maybe what you do today. It's funny. It's a funny question that you ask because I'm sure if I put that to my siblings, they would tell you, (laughs) and I have four younger siblings, that I was, I acted a lot as their mother and was quite bossy. So perhaps I was always destined to be some sort of girl boss. (laughs) And that was my vocation. And having four younger siblings was just really good practice. I don't know, but no, some of the other things that I love to do, you know, I grew up in an amazing street whereby on one side of us, we had four, um, there were four kids in that house, three on the other. And, you know, kids all up and down the street Um, and we used to love, you know, going exploring into the parklands because we were allowed to do it back then um, on weekends and and during holidays, riding our bikes and really just being curious, um, which I think is the greatest gift of being a child, that curiosity and discovery. And something that we really need to hold on to as we get older, I think. We need to really cultivate that curiosity in our lives. Absolutely, absolutely. Yeah. So the oldest of five. Yes. Keeping, keeping them all in line or showing the way. Yeah, it's funny. I, I, never, I didn't, don't think I really thought about it like that, you know, when I was younger. Um, but certainly that, you know, that bossiness and, and that mothering, you know, and I think even now I still perhaps assume an element of worrying about my younger siblings um, in a motherly kind of manner, <laughs> a maternal kind of way. Um, but, yeah, it was awesome fun growing up with five kids. I'm just certainly not going to be able to have five children myself. <laughs> Grace Papers is my fourth baby, as we joke. <laughs> Great. So you, you actually have three children of your own? I do. Yep. Yeah. Yes. So, so, and in fact, we've just had birthday weekends, so they are now eight, six and four. Yeah. Um, Congratulations. That's a, that's a, that's a handful <laughs> right there. Um, and we'll get into your story about your journey into parenthood in just a moment. One of the other things I'm also curious that I, I actually ask all the guests on the podcast is three things that you believe in and that perhaps inform the kind of work that you do today, the kind of how you live your life. 
what might three things be that you believe in? Um, I believe obviously in gender equality and that that's probably the greatest opportunity we have. I believe in acting with grace, um, you know, and everything that we do, we say do it with grace. Um, and I believe in taking time out, which is why I'm heading to PJ tomorrow. <laughs> but to be time fair, out and really self-care. Yeah. <laughs> to be fair, you're going there for work as well. Well, yes, we're tacking on four days, but um, I am going there for work to deliver a keynote. So, yes. <laughs> yeah. well, I think, um, Double purpose. Any working parent that can combine work and self-care is, is, you know, I think that's a that's a goal that we should all be working towards. It's really important. Yeah, exactly, exactly. Yeah. I'm sure I've got a lot more beliefs than that, but that'll do for now. We'll run with those to... three. We'll run with those three because they are obviously informative to the work that you do now. Mm-hmm. Um, I'd really like to now just tap into Grace Papers and what, um, what Grace Papers is and how it came to be. Mm-hmm. Well, I guess it really um, stemmed from my experience both as a parent, as um, a lawyer and having led uh, the diversity strategy for a publicly listed organisation and really focused on what gender equality looked like. And, you know, I started out really looking at when I started a consultancy after leaving Corporate Express, I was really set on looking at um, the diversity strategy and compliance elements. But what kept on happening was every time I'd start with a new client, we'd run listen and learn sessions and we'd talk to women and they would share their experiences of navigating pregnancy, parental leave and their return to work. And when we overlaid their experiences with the data, there was a really clear pattern that said they didn't have adequate flexibility, there was, not, there was inadequate on and off um, ramping support um, and organisations didn't actually know how to have conversations with employees throughout that experience. And so I guess it, it's fair to say, and because it's been backed up by research as well, that there are still really high levels of bias and discrimination in the systems um, that make it difficult for women to realise their full professional potential um, whilst also feeling fulfilled as a parent. And so it's that juggle, you know. Our whole mission is very much about valuing the juggler um, and rather than discriminating against them. Mm. And, and and I guess over the t- over time, um, you know, whilst our very initial focus was much more on women, um, over time we have seen that it's become much more focused on men as as well. And so we now support men to navigate their parental leave journeys um, and to really think about what flexibility could look like for them, um, not just from the perspective of care for family, but from the perspective of self-care and, and care for the community as well. Mm. Um, so, we, we, you know, it's been quite a shift in because we know that if we can normalise um, 
changes to the system, such as flexibility, uh, normalising flexibility, then it will have a significant impact on um, the on women being able to fulfil their full professional potential. Mm. That was quite a mouthful. <laughs> <laughs> so, so you you were start you were in house counsel um, for a publicly listed company, which was Corporate Express, and that's where you got to really dig into, as you said, the compliance requirements um, around gender equality. Yeah, and, but you left there because you had children or because you wanted to start your own business or what was the reason for leaping out of your own corporate career into doing your own thing? Yeah, yeah it's a really good question. It kind of, um, the stars aligned in many ways. We'd made the decision as a couple that we wanted to move back to Melbourne and our head office was in Sydney and I was still on maternity leave when um, I was doing some project work actually um, uh, when Staples, which is a US company, decided to buy out Corporate Express. Um, so that changed my role significantly. I would no longer have been general counsel um, because general counsel sat out of the US and I was also increasingly being pulled away um, because of my own professional vision from doing that core legal uh, work, much more towards um, what had become my passion in driving gender equality. So the stars aligned really and I think you do have to listen to the universe um, and look at what it is um, showing you as the new pathway forward. So I left there when I was um, uh, three months pregnant with my second baby and uh, started up my own consultancy, which I look back on now and think, wow, it was absolutely mad. In fact, it's been absolutely mad ever since I made that decision. And yet at the same time, I, you know, it's a bit of a cliche, but, that I, but I don't feel like I've ever worked today because I love what I do so much. Mm. So, so and it was, it was yeah. yeah, so through starting your own consultancy, that led to the development of Grace Papers. And it did. So today, Grace Papers is a digital platform. So yeah. it's, a, it's an yeah. online platform that both men and women can access um, to, to walk through the process of how to navigate their careers in, as they transition into parenthood. Correct. That's exactly it. So we've got um, the offerings for mums and for dads, which is pretty unique. Um, and our mums offering, I mean, it's kind of like a Michelle Bridges 12-week body transformation program for women navigating pregnancy, parental leave and their return to work. Um, they enter in relevant dates and the algorithms then um, figure out exactly what content they need at the different stages of their journey. Um, and more recently, we launched a, an offering for dads, which really meets men where they're currently at. You know, it's not saying, here you go, you have to take parental leave or work flexibly, but we're saying, what if you looked at this differently? You know, we know that some 60% of working fathers in Australia would like to work part-time, but there's a catch to it, provided they could continue to have a meaningful career. And so there's a really strong stigma that continues to be attached to 
those people who, well, do the juggle effectively. Um, and that stigma really says or questions their commitment to the workplace um, and, and that is at the heart of what, what we're trying to change in terms of all of the work that we do. So we've got the digital platform and in addition we're also doing a lot of work with um, leaders in organisations. Um, we're doing some senior women's programs uh, which are very much about empowering them to better understand the biases in the system in which they're operating um, so that they can more successfully navigate those biases. And, you know, all the research tells us, and in addition to our experience, obviously working with um, women, that when that focus is done with groups of women, um, organisations are far more likely to to drive change for women um, and address the systemic issues because it's not one person battling a system on their own. Um, and they learn and can, in, in many ways, um, uh, digest and um, look at the situations that they're in and unpack it with others who also understand the context um, and the environment in which they're working and the biases that are in, their, in that system. And by doing it that way, you empower a group of women from a confidence perspective um, to also be able to call it out and really start, you know, which is our goal, mini movements um, that transform the limiting beliefs um, around existing systems and processes and, and beliefs that continue to undermine women's potential. Mm. So uh, you mentioned about educating women about the bias that exists mm. in the system. Mm. I'm guessing that a lot of the people that would be listening to this podcast perhaps wouldn't be aware of what some of those biases are. What, yeah. what are the common things that you talk about with these women? And I'm guessing, you know, it's not just the women in the organisations that you're doing in groups. You talk about this on your platform, which any woman yeah. independently of where they work can access. So what, what sort of biases perhaps yeah. are they not even aware of? Because when you're, when you're, you know, when you're in the system, sometimes you don't even know what's, how, it, how it's working the way that it is. Yeah, that, that's exactly it. I mean, there are the really overt biases that we often see, which are around the comments that are made to women, for example, when they are pregnant or expecting or, you know, on parental leave or on their return to work. And one of the most common ones is, you know, when women do return to work, they just feel really grateful that they're allowed to work part-time um, and yet at the same time they feel incredibly frustrated as time goes on that they are, their skills are not being fully utilised. Um, it's often, you know, pro project work that they are given as they're in that transition stage. Um, but it's other things like missing out on promotions and not really being able to name what it is um, as to why they missed out on that promotion and getting um, unclear feedback around, you know, what the reasons were for that when you talk to them about it they feel 
um, quite strongly that it was probably because they're unable to work full-time or, um, you know, they're viewed differently. But I think the other challenge that we educate women around is um, is how to navigate that flexibility element and what it is that's going to give them a licence to operate. Um, we're in a situation now whereby women are making it to the most senior leadership positions in organisations. However, and if you read any media, um, you'll see that every time a woman seems to be promoted to partner while she is pregnant, there's um, a new story written about her. Um, or, you know, take Kelly O'Dwyer, the, um, um, the small business minister, you know, the amount of media that was generated when she became the first woman in 2017 to um, have a baby whilst in office. Um, and what these stories do at the moment is they highlight that it is possible for women to make it. However, they're also the exception. And the problem with generating so much media attention around the exception is that whilst it's an element of inspiration, it also says to those women that don't make it, you're, you didn't make it because you're not committed enough to the workplace. Rather than saying there's something wrong with the system that sees such few women, you know, 3% of women make it to CEOs um, um, in terms of, of the, the big organisations and that's a real issue. Um, so, so we help them to understand the environments in which they're operating and the different systemic issues um, that challenge their, their potential basically or their capacity to realise their potential. Yeah. So you mentioned about, you know, just being grateful to be able to work part-time mm. and being able to yeah. negotiate that. What, are, what, are, what would be some strategies for women to overcome that, you know, we, we talk about how important gratitude is in our life and maintaining a positive outlook, yeah. but <laughs> yeah. when, when could that potentially work against you in terms of, well, yeah. it goes beyond just gratitude and potentially, you know, a human right? It is a human right, you know, and every everybody does have a right to, um, you know, to fair employment and fair terms and conditions. So what we we encourage um, women to do is to really think about their professional vision, and we've got a whole tool that helps them to to figure out what their professional look like looks like, professional vision looks like. You know, what are your passions and your gifts and your talents and your abilities and what is it that truly makes your heart sing um, or how you want to work, you know, what kind of work you want to be doing. So a whole raft of questions and start to really focus on that aspect of your life and your career without any limitations. So often women have put in place so many limitations around what they can and can't do. Um, that their vision is too small and it's too small to motivate them, it's too small to inspire them. So the very starting point for all of um, our work is to help people to better understand themselves um, and their, their professional vision. Then we say, right, oh, well, what is going to get in the way um, and, and unlock um, the, the, the barriers and the limiting beliefs, if you like, 
that they've put in place for themselves. And sometimes that's self-protection. Sometimes it's a fear, you know, and um, you know, talking to so many people taking the leap, um, that there are always fears that you need to overcome as you are doing something new. And often the return to work is something new. It's a new way of working. Um, It's new conversations that you need to have um, in the context of um, a business world that is going under so many transformations, restructures, um, so many of the women we work with go back to a different boss. And we need to start to look at those as opportunities to reposition what you want from your career. Um, and, you know, we, as I said at the start, you know, whatever you do, do it with grace. And if you think about, um, you know, what grace might mean, and we've got a whole lot of different elements to that, of course, um, you know, we say it does mean having such a deep understanding of yourself um, that you are able to stand up for yourself um, and for what you believe in um, and what your worth is and doing it with um, an element of dignity but being firm around the principles for which you are willing to um, work and, and, and being guided by, you know, your own values and making sure that they align with your organisation's values as well. Mm. So that's so, so, so that's how we help them. Yeah, and that's it's amazing because I'm I wonder just how often in our careers, other than at this at juncture points like this where you're forced to consider what the future holds, like how does the next 10 months work out, 40 weeks work out, how does the next year work out? And and then beyond that, we often I find in the work that I do in coaching work is we don't actually often stop and think about the things that I believe in mm-hmm. and cement those core beliefs and foundations to then give yeah. us that um, that resolution to be able to stand and and, and ask for what we want. Um, That's and, right. Yeah, and actually help people, um, you know, see the vision that we have and help us along with it because I think we often expect other people to have the answers for us rather yeah, that's than right. standing in the truth of saying, well, what is it that I want and how do yeah. I make that happen? And that's that full accountability piece, isn't it, as well? It's the most common um, myth, I would say, that people who are going on parental leave assume somebody will take responsibility for managing their, their career while they're on parental leave. And guess what they don't you know people managers manage people not careers it's up to individuals to be masters of their own destiny um, when it comes to choosing your career and your line of work Um, but you know you're absolutely right we don't often take that time out to think about what it is that we want and where we're actually going Mm -hmm. and I guess what we've done with the platform is offer a really affordable solution um, in terms of the, the coaching experience that's usually reserved for your most senior leaders, you know. So um, that that's really how we've made it accessible and a scalable solution as well because we know that when we've got lots of women 
um, talking to each other and and standing up for what they believe in and fighting the same fight, um, then really, you know, at the heart of it, Grace Papers is much more about a movement um, uh, than it is about a program. Yeah, well, courage is contagious, right? So you need to be around other Absolutely. courageous people. I love that. <laughs> and you're the courage is contagious. <laughs> Um, and the great thing about the platform too, isn't it? You can start it. You can start it before you're it, when yeah. you're actually getting pregnant. Yeah, yeah. Because that's one of the things that came out in Cheryl Sandberg's book, right? In leaning, in you know, which was a conversation yes. that got kicked off a few years ago, particularly around what you do. Um, but a lot of women actually check out even before they've gotten pregnant. Correct. As Cheryl Sandberg says, don't leave before you leave, you know, and she tells the story about a young woman coming to her and um, talking about, you know, her career and how it would look with children and um, it turns out that she didn't even have a boyfriend, you know, (laughs) at that time. But it is the way women make decisions around organisations. And, you know, I mentioned earlier that uh, that concept of second-generation bias Um, and uh, the belief that we need role models within our organisations is part of that um, second-generation bias. Um, that we're, I guess in some ways, we buy into believing that we need a role model um, and that we need a female role model and we're looking for senior women who have the same values um, and have had similar experiences to us. And yet, as we know, there are still far too few women in leadership positions um, to really fulfil that need for us. And so, again, we advocate for sponsorship. You know, think about... Um, the sponsors that you can have and to have a really great sponsor, you don't actually need to align with their values. Heck, you don't even need to like the person that much. Um, But what that you need is it's almost a transactional relationship whereby you are doing something for them because every leader needs followers and in that sponsorship relationship you're probably somebody who can bring others on that journey and be able to deliver something for that senior person, you know, more often than not at the moment, a male. Um, But they're also somebody who can advocate for you, particularly in your absence while you're potentially on parental leave um, and with whom you can have really open conversations um, about your career um, and where you want to go and get that support um, to, to shift forward. So is a sponsor like a mentor or how are they different? Yeah, we say sponsors are a bit different to a mentor. So it'd be just because mentors, people choose a mentor and um, more based on their values and their experience, whereas a sponsor is somebody who's going to advocate for you in a different way. Mentors tend to give you advice um, rather than that advocating piece. I, um, I absolutely agree you need um, mentors in your life as well. Um, in fact, we advocate for having your own um, board of directors. So if you think about your career, um, every single one of us should have our own personal board of directors. And that board of directors should cover, you know, everything from 
um, your CFO, you know, who's helping you with your financial advice to, you know, your spiritual, um, the spiritual side of your life to the various different elements of your professional life as well. And I'd throw in several people who are going to help you with the parenting side of it. <laughs> Absolutely. Oh, I love that. I love that. I often, I often talk about um, having a wise counsel. Yeah. That's, on. yeah. yeah, exactly. Yeah. 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 Same thing. But, yeah, absolutely. We all need a board of directors to, to run our lives. We do. <laughs> yes, exactly, exactly. It takes a village. It, it takes a village to raise a child. It just takes a village these days just to get through life. Um, I it, think. it does. Yeah. It takes a village to be me. <laughs> yeah, well, that's exactly right. And I think that actually taps into an important thing that I think I think might be also prevalent. I don't know if this is the same with men and women, but I feel that women also have this kind of bias towards themselves about potentially also needing to do it all themselves and that hyper independence that I I don't I don't need the help or to to be seen to ask for help is showing that I'm not coping or that or that I don't know you know um so do you find that when you're when you're coaching yeah definitely they haven't well it's it comes back to part of that good mother stereotype um, and the pressure that we put on women. Um, you know, on the one hand, we define a good mother as being one who is always with her children. You know, they are always available and they're across every single, single detail that happens. Yet at the same time, we define a good employee or a great employee as somebody who is completely committed to the workplace with no care or responsibilities at all, you know, so they can deliver 24-7. And we haven't yet managed to um, to change that stereo- or stereotypes um, broadly across society. And, and that's what we very much focus on doing by, you know, having a professional vision because when you have a professional vision, you don't experience the guilt trap um, that is the impact of that good mother stereotype and the ideal employee. Um, because you have those innate beliefs in yourself as to who you are, what you're doing and why you're doing it. And we therefore um, advocate for guilt as being something that's actually really helpful. It's something that all, you know, if you feel guilt coming into your life, simply check in with your values, make sure that you are living your values um, or realign them as necessary because we do all need to realign every now and again. It gets a bit out of sync. Um, and then flick that guilt back off your shoulder until it comes back again to remind you to check in with your values. Mm. Um, and if we can think about guilt in that way, then we're not holding ourselves to these unrealistic standards um, that are actually not helpful. Mm. because things may not go to plan you may yeah. have the you may have this vision you may craft this professional vision but but becoming a parent is one of the most vulnerable things that we will ever do mm. and for as much as we think this is how it's going to go when we make these plans for potentially how it's going to go the, when you know no what is, I love the saying that no plan ever survives its impact with reality and I think there's no more of a perfect time where that's where that comes 
comes true is when you become a parent. So what about when, when, when you change your mind, when you, you know, you've, you've gone in and you've kind of advocated for these things and then it's like, hang on a minute, either I need more time or I want to come back later or I'm not, you know, I'm not coping well or my child, you know, there's a whole raft of reasons why yeah. things don't go to plan. What happens then? Well, I, I think that's the thing about a professional vision is that it's a vision, not a plan. And the vision is, um, is really around the themes for your career. And so as part of that, and we don't even talk around using language like planning or goals, we use a language that says, for as long as we're alive, we're always growing. And so what are the growth elements that will give you the edge that you want to work to, uh, towards your professional vision over the next three, six, 12, however many months. Um, and that takes that pressure off ticking and checking a box. Um, and it also leaves room for failure um, because we grow through failure and we grow from making mistakes as parents, as employees, um, and we need to learn, you know, to really to be really forgiving of ourselves as we navigate um, the different journeys that life presents. So, whilst we advocate for having a vision, the vision's really important because it is so um, connected to the individual's values and um, gifts and and assets but um if if it's if the vision is then translated into a plan and goals then I don't know there's less room for flexibility and we need flexibility in our mindsets and in our systems um for us all to to get to where we are supposed to be going yeah. <laughs> what what advice would you have to um people who who need to have these tough conversations, you know, if they are addressing biases in their workplace, you know, even when they've been able to overcome their own, you know, their own kind of biases or, or dig into, you know, their own beliefs, having a, having a conversation around this can be quite intimidating for a lot of people. Um, what advice do you give as to how to prepare for that? Always write it out. Um, we actually use a system um, uh, you know, that that has success or a you know, format in being able to provide um, feedback in difficult situations. Um, so, you know, we look at the situation that they're looking at. We, we look at the behaviours that are negatively impacting the individual um, and actually helping them to describe both those behaviours and the impact that it has on them. Um, if you can articulate something around behaviours and impact, then it's much harder to argue against, um, which is where, you know, if you talk about it from the projecting and thinking side, um, you're much more likely to enter into a debate about whether you should or shouldn't be feeling like that, whereas if you can talk about it um, from behaviours and impact... Um, and then explore with the other person, well, how, how could this look um, if we're wanting to look at it differently? How could, what can we do to change the situation, uh, which comes back to that, those behaviours? But 
I mean, I think it's, it is also important. That's a, you know, that, that's, that's a framework for a situation where you really need to sit down and have the conversation. We advocate that everybody, man and, men and women, need to be prepared to have something in their back pocket that they can pull out and um, call out inappropriate behaviours or comments, um, biases, discrimination when they happen. Because if you can call it out in the moment, then you're less likely to experience it it as discrimination um, Mm -hmm. moving forward and you nip it in the bud and you walk away feeling empowered and the other person probably walks away having learnt something. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. For for women who are pregnant, there are some pretty interesting stats around the kinds of discrimination they will experience. What, What does the research show there? The research shows that one in two women experience or report experiencing some form of pregnancy-related discrimination, but also that 27% of new dads experience discrimination as well. Um, And it also shows us that men's requests for flexibility are far more likely to be rejected than women's. So it's really telling us that the stigmas are still there. Of course, one of the most challenging things is that whilst Women will believe that discrimination happens. They actually never believe that it's going to happen to them. So they believe the statistics and they believe um, that it does happen to other women, but, of course, it's not going to happen to them. And that's a really significant challenge that we face in terms of encouraging women to prepare for it. Um, And often we still see... Uh, women coming to us and to the platform once they've started to experience bias and discrimination, um, a lot of which can increasingly be prevented um, by preparing for different conversations and doing the work around that self so that you are equipped to be able to stand up for yourself and do it with grace um, when those situations arise. So yeah. early intervention or prevention, um, it, prevention is always the, the best solution. Yeah, and that, that happens through education and, and awareness. Yes. Um, so it was interesting that you quoted those statistics um, for both men and women because gender stereotypes, you know, affect both genders, you know. They do. And, and hold us both back um, in that aspect. I know that when when you were getting Grace up and running, your husband, Ben, was also involved in the business, but he took off a period of time to care exclusively for their kids. He um, did. He did. And when he, when he, how did he explain that on his LinkedIn profile? I know that he did something quite interesting around... Um, was it writing a letter about how how what what he learned while he was on on um, leave? He has, yeah, he has. He wrote a piece around um, the lessons that he learned from becoming the chief parenting officer for our family, <laughs> um, and it's light-hearted, but it's also quite. You know, it's it's quite moving, I think, too, because it. 
it calls out the different biases and the experiences that men face as well. And and certainly, you know, I mean, this is only sort of four years ago or three and a half years ago that he took parental leave. Um, and, you know, he'll tell the story of being the only dad at kinder drop-off and, and at every kinder drop-off or if he was not in a suit, he was, oh, day off today then. You know, it was those subtle comments that really made him feel like he was an outlier rather than um, included in the parenting side of things, which as women, we never experience that. You know, we're expected to be there. And so I think there's really still a lot of work we need to do to make men feel that it is acceptable and more than okay to take or to access parental leave. Um, both in the workplace and also outside of the workplace. And and when we can start to normalise that, we'll also start to see more women in leadership um, and women more able to fully participate in the workplace. Yeah, and I think that's part of the conversation, isn't it? Because so often, while the discrimination obviously dis- disadvantages women significantly more, and we see that through, um, you know, yesterday it was equal pay day and we see yeah. that women... You you know, women's um, are still trailing, you know, by, what is it, 15.3%, which is 66 extra days, you know, we would have to work to get um, pay parity in in that, in that, um, in in line with men. Um, But, you know, it puts a lot of pressure on women to solve this problem. It does. It does. And, you know, I, I think there's, there's always a lot made of equal pay day and, what concerns me about, about equal pay day is the lack of challenging of the belief systems that underpin um, the different pay decisions. Um, and, you know, I think in one report that I read, um, it talked about that it almost, there was almost a justification for paying, say, HR, a, g- a general manager of HR, um, differently to the general manager of sales. And really it's about the way we value um, people and the history um, of the decisions and the belief systems that underpin why people get paid what they get paid needs to be challenged and that's the debate we need to be having rather than this constant explaining to us of why there is a gender pay gap because the existing gender pay gap and all the commentary around it isn't closing the retirement gap Um, and women are still in a situation where over the course of their lives they're earning on average a million dollars less than their male counterparts. My concern around the conversation or the level of discourse um, when it comes to the gender pay gap is that we're not really challenging the belief systems upon which the existing system has been developed. And we still think that it is okay to pay a general manager of HR substantially less than a general manager of sales. And when you map men and women across those systems, um, we know that women tend to be um, more heavily concentrated in those support functions 
and men tend to be more heavily concentrated in the operational and sales functions. And that's where we need to rethink and start a different conversation around, well, why do we believe that this is okay? Why do we devalue the contributions of another person? And there's really good business cases around why um, that matters. You know, on the one hand, the number of women uh, shifting to the gig economy has increased um, substantially over the past 10 years and a significant reason as to why they're going is because they do believe that they will achieve gender parity um, from a, a compensation perspective by working for themselves and also still being able to have control over their own schedule um, and fulfil their parenting roles. Mm. Um, so, you know, it's, it's an issue for big business in terms of being able to attract and retain the best talent. Um, but secondly, um, you know, if you look at strategy, um, and the rules of strategy or, the, you know, the theory of strategy, it actually doesn't say that different roles are more valuable than others. It says that there are a number of different functions that are part of the value chain. Some of them are part of the core um, capabilities of an, any organisation in terms of what it needs to run a business but the others, which are actually the support functions, are what differentiates their value proposition from others. So I think it's really important and timely that we have different conversations around the belief systems that underpin the existing systems in place. Um, and I don't see enough of that happening. And yeah. I, I think um, whilst I, you know, I'm an advocate of the Male Champions of Change initiative, um, there's an element of shifting towards a bit of groupthink at the moment and I think we need to shift away from that again. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, so that was one thing I was going to say because it's it's one thing for women to, you know, take charge of their careers and create their professional vision and have these conversations and challenge the status quo and advocate for themselves to make that change. Um, but it's another thing to actually look at the systemic biases that exist that potentially not just one person is going to shift on their own and and really you know getting the getting a, you know that that top echelon where power actually resides to make change um, to act, to actually do that and, and so it's not just it's not just women feeling like they have to fix this problem themselves or you know it's actually engaging the full kind of range of participation in the workplace at all levels and and looking at, at systemic change not just individual change Absolutely. I think, though, that one of the things we need to remember is that women didn't get the vote um, or the right to vote because men decided it was good for women. Um, women didn't get reproductive rights because men thought it would be a good idea for women or that there was a strong business case behind it. Women have managed to get those things as well as paid parental leave and the right to work part-time to care for young children um, and childcare because they have advocated for change. Now, that doesn't mean that we all need to be out protesting um, down the streets, although, you know, 
<laughs> it's always fun if you want to join us. Um, but you do need to have a really strong sense of what it will take to empower you and to be able to articulate that to those that are in decision-making um, positions together with an understanding of the impact of your contributions on your organisation. Because when you can align those three things together, you are standing up for what you are believing in. You will feel more empowered, but also your organisation isn't guessing. They're not left in in the dark and they know what needs to change um, and are more likely to do so because of um, the value they place on you being part of their business. Mm, and there's that massive economic argument about the loss, mm. the loss to productivity by, um, you know, not having women fully participate in the workforce. I think I read something on your website recently. It was billions of dollars. 195 billion. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. The, so the gender gap's massive from a productivity perspective. Mm. Um, it's, it's a no-brainer. And, you know, it's also we need to continue to value the care contributions um, that women make because if you pull that industry apart, it's unsustainable for our economy, mm-hmm. um, which again is why um, things like flexibility are so critically important mm-hmm. um, and expanding access to flexibility and the use of it to men as well is going to be crucial. Yeah, absolutely. And I think, um, you know, as you as you mentioned earlier in our discussion, the more it's normalised for men to take caring roles and to be able to take leave and to appreciate, you know, the value that that actually has to their communities and also to their own development as a human being, um, the more it will become valued. You know, I think it's part of it is that unless you experience it, you don't actually fully understand the value that it offers or that it delivers. And I think um, that there's that beautiful article that talks about the um, the, the five regrets of the dying. Mm. And, you know, none of them is about work. And mm. so I think as part of the business case for men to take flexibility, um, it is reminding them of what life's all about too and giving them the opportunities to, to lean in and make the the connections that um, are part of their humanity Mm. um, and they're, you know, feeling more fulfilled over life as well. Mm. So I'm going to be talking to Bronnie Ware, who is the author of Those Five Regrets um, in a few weeks. Super exciting. But there is one regret to do with work and it's the the regret is that I wish I hadn't worked so hard. Um, So it's, it's totally within the within the realm to say, you know, that there is, there is other things outside of our working lives that we also need to value um, and also see that the contribution that makes to who we are when we do show up to work I think is, is super, super important. Um, I, we, we're coming to with, towards the end of our time together, but I was wondering, is there, can you give us some great examples maybe from both, you know, from men and women that you've coached that have tur- either turned things around or created really positive outcomes for them that perhaps people might be surprised about or, um, you know, to to get an understanding of the power of having this kind of education and information and support when you're making this transition? Look, I was coaching somebody recently and she had been told that she was on track for partnership 
um, but it wouldn't happen for another two years. And um, so we worked through, well, you know, what's your vision and when do you think you're ready and, and started to do a whole lot of, you know, that kind of work. And I said to her, so what's with the, the gap? Like why is it not for another two years? And she said, oh, it's funny you say that because um, another really senior member of her organisation had asked her the same thing. But she'd always just accepted that that was the way it was going to be. Um, And once we started exploring it, she realised that there was something a little bit amiss. And so, you know, off she went to, to figure out whether, in fact, she should be in the next intake um, from a partnership perspective, which given her um, desire to grow her family actually made a whole lot more sense um, to fast track it and because it's a bit of a mucky, you know, period when you're going through doing that whole application process. Um, So, you know, that was one really nice example of, you know, her actually taking the time out to reflect on it and not just relying on others to make decisions about her career. And questioning assumptions. Yeah, exactly, yeah. exactly. Yeah. And then there's another, um, you know, the, our program that we're facilitating at the moment and it has very much been about around, you know, what are the growing edges collectively that... Um, you know, that they can come up with. And certainly the gender pay gap is is one of them. And I guess what we start to see is that um, through the work that we're doing, we're not just empowering one person. We're, we are empowering people to lead um, small movements within organisations and to really connect with their why for what they do. Um, it always... Uh, inspires me when I hear that, you know, um, a, a senior banker, for instance, who is really left-wing in terms of their beliefs is there because they actually believe big corporates can drive social equality um, through people like them. And it restores my faith in big business and in humanity, especially when you see that um, they're being so well supported um, by leadership teams. So, look so you, you, work with some, you work with um, your, your digital platform is available for any, for any person yes. in any size business. So if you're in a small business and you want to have these conversations or wonder how to tackle it, you can access it. But you also work with the top end of town and with one of some of the some of the world's most recognizable brands. What are those businesses doing differently? How are they, you know, leading the way in championing diversity and inclusion and equality? Look, there's no, I think all of them would acknowledge that there's no silver bullet um, to it. And I think what the best organisations are doing is looking at the different interventions that are going to be the most impactful. So, you know, when you think about how we change systems and how we change things for the future, um, there's a a tendency to invest in leadership um, and assume that that's because that's where the power is. Um, What we are increasingly seeing is a belief in actually 
these decisions are made at the time that people have babies, you know, that um, and it was certainly our own experience with our first um, that we, we always assumed that I would work part-time purely because of one simple fact and that was that Ben was five years older than me um, and therefore he was earning a lot more than me at the time that we had our first baby. Now, the average age of a first-time mother in Australia is 29 and the average age of a first-time father in Australia is 33. That four-year age gap translates to a four-year pay gap. And so most other couples are making the same decision. If we actually want to challenge the system, um, then we need to start at the time that people are making decisions about career and care because that is also when they are hanging themselves on a mortgage um, and, um, and investing in one career over another um, and, and setting themselves up at home to, for there to be a primary carer um, who manages the home stuff, the domestic stuff, if you like. So what we're seeing from corporates is a belief that actually we've been investing too late in, in all of this and we need to invest earlier because discrimination starts at pregnancy um, and it has repercussions all the way through. So if we want to change um, what happens in the system over time, you know, beyond that, we need to start when they're making those decisions. Mm. Um, yeah, so front foot. Mm. Yeah, that's exactly it. Yeah, mm. and you know, so we're working with you know some fabulous employers, um, EY, PwC, Australia Post, um, NAB. Um, I'm so going to miss out a whole lot. Melbourne Water, Department of Environment, Land and Water. We're doing a lot of work with New South Wales government as well and Woolworths. So um, there are some really progressive employers out there that um, that are really driving social change. And, and, I mean, apart from all of the just straight obvious um, social impacts, positive social impacts, you know, it makes them more likely to attract talent, you know, if if they're also you know, seen as being progressive in, in working out how they can flexibly um, keep their workforce engaged throughout, you know, throughout people's life stage because it's not just, it's not just pregnancy. You know, as, as, as we get older, we, we all take on more caring responsibilities whether or not we have kids. You know, we've got parents or we've got siblings or, you know, there are other parts of our lives that we just um, become you know, more responsible for as we get older as well. So this is really... Absolutely. In fact, there was a manpower um, survey that or report that came out just a week or two ago and it did say that across all demographics, um, flexibility and, you know, the capacity to balance um, work and life is the number one priority that people are looking for when they're looking for new jobs. Yes, and I've seen other reports that say we would much rather get have a day off then get more money like that you know there's yeah. more valuable yeah, yeah we, we, we're learning to value our time um more yeah super interesting what so what's your vision for how you know if you could make wave a magic wand <laughs> and solve the gender equality problem at the moment what would what would you hope to see or what would you what would you what would you make happen I mean, my vision is for a society in which women are able to care and 
fully realise their professional potential, um, to live without oppression um, and to retire with economic security. But my vision is also uh, that men are able to contemplate the way that they work um, and live more meaningful and fulfilling lives through better connections uh, with their families. Mm. So that that's really, you know, what if I could do anything, that would be the one that I would wave across men and women. Yes. Um, yeah. Yeah, and you're on your way there. So just to wrap up our conversation today, what would be three things that you would like listeners to take away from our conversation? Uh, A belief that discrimination can impact them, um, not just their friends and their peers. Um, Secondly, a belief that they are worthy of investing in themselves um, and doing that hard work to really get to know who they are, what they want and what their professional vision would look like Um, and a belief that they are worthy of, um, of being treated with respect and dignity and um, grace, really. Mm. Fantastic. Now, for people who want to know more, they can check out... Gracepapers.com.au, yep, is our website. Um, And I think there's a questionnaire people can go on and fill out, isn't there? There is. You can go in and have a look at what what your life will look like. depending on the decisions that you make around career and care and, you know, really just give you a little bit more, a few more facts around um, what what might happen depending on the decisions that you make. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, yeah, definitely come on to the site and that's a free questionnaire. So Yeah, and um, does that also cover off what some of the legal um, rights are as well? Uh, it, it's definitely in the platform, that yeah. part of it. You know, you'll yeah. get an overview of what your rights and responsibilities are. Yeah. Um, but, you know, follow us on Facebook or Instagram and, you know, there's a community that you can come on and join as well. So Terrific. Um, yeah. So we have our last, our 10 by 10. So we've got 10 questions, 10 seconds to answer each. Nice and quick um, to wrap us up after our, our, chat, our chat today. You ready? Pressure's on. <laughs> you ready to roll? <laughs> okay. Ready to roll. All right. Um, number one, what I like about myself is? I stand up for what I believe in. I beat procrastination by? Oh, sometimes I indulge it. <laughs> <laughs> I think I indulge it to beat it, yeah. (laughs) We'll we'll run with that. A song on my life soundtrack is? When the going gets tough, the tough get going. (laughs) The world needs more? Grace. Leaders with grace. A phrase I live by is? Whatever you do, do it with grace. (laughs) Something everyone must do is? Be more curious in life. A book that changed me? The Course of Love. Fear and I have an interesting relationship 
it pushes me, I push back. Um, and then I remember that it is all about growth. So I lean into it and grow through it. Something that always makes me feel good is? Oh, my children, my family. <laughs> and finally, number 10, my legacy will be? To transform the limiting beliefs about jugglers, people who care and work. It's been great to chat with you today, Prue. So thank you so much for joining us and for giving us an insight into what you do and the incredible impact that you are having um, in Australian workplaces. But I think also you will take over the world. We, we know that that's going to happen. <laughs> <laughs> thank you for your belief in us <laughs> and me. We're super grateful for the work that you do and um, encourage everyone to check out gracepapers.com.au. Thank you. Thanks, Prue. Bye. That's all for this episode of In The Company. I hope you've enjoyed listening and tucked away a few gems to bring to your working life. To make sure you don't miss an episode, please subscribe to our channel. And if you've loved what you've heard today, please share it with your kinfolk who might also be in the need of some good company. And if you feel so inclined, we'd be super grateful for our review on iTunes. Bye.